It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how. You played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. And this is why Blank lost. Oh, baby, this is why Blank lost. Welcome to this week's Why Blank Lost. I'm David Bloomberg, and I'm a little suspicious because my co-host, Jessica Lewis, gave me a podcast advantage out of the blue that says I'm immune to disagreement from anyone on the Internet. But I'll just play it and see what happens. Um, I don't think I did that <laughs> because I seem to uh, recall there has been some discussion online and disagreement with some of the things you've been saying on the podcast. No, I, so, I, that can't possibly be true. I'm just saying, I don't, I really, um, yeah, I, maybe that's going to work for you, but it could be, yeah. uh, no longer valid. No, maybe I no, gave it to no. you before. I can't remember. Oh, no. I mean, how could anyone disagree with me? I mean, I didn't get the exact details of the episode right in my prediction, but I was pretty close. You know, Ron did try to pull a fast one on Rick, which we knew from the preview. Mm -hmm. and it backfired on him and uh, close to the way I expected. So, you know, I mean, we have a whole podcast to discuss the full reason it didn't work and why the vote went against him instead. But really, for now, there's only one thing that needs to be said. David, you're right! David, you're right! I totally knew that that was coming and we're going to hear it all throughout this podcast. And that's why last week we should have had a Jessica, you are right, because I was right last week. So I'm sorry, we can only have one of those drops. You know, know. you needed it. If someone hadn't sat out of that challenge, <laughs> that's then true. maybe there would be a <gasps> Jessica, you're right. That's, you know, that's really good. Damn it. I screwed that one up, didn't I? Ugh. Who knew the long-term implications right? I know. of sitting if, out of that challenge? If only I'd known I would someday be doing this podcast and That's I would right. need that soundbite. Ugh, you know, and it's unfortunate because I seem to go back in time and wreck things for people, right? Haven't we made that determination too? Yes, yes. Unfortunately, I can't go back in time and fix things for myself. No. That's too bad. Yeah, uh, otherwise, I think you wouldn't worry so much about that challenge, but maybe like Pick the rock next to that one. I know. You know, and my father gave me advice, and I've probably shared this before, but I picked the first one I touched. And he was like, Jessica, you always swirl it around first. <laughs> like, well, I wish I wish I had known before I stuck my hand in that bag. Yeah. Oh, well, such is life. But yes, yeah. we have so much stuff to talk about here because you were right. And I kudos to you. You were absolutely correct in your prediction. That Ron was going to go home. So, yeah, I do have to give you props for that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, you know, once or twice a season, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just occasionally. Right. Right. Um, 
Yeah, and we do have a lot to talk about. But once again, there weren't any new web confessionals or helpful secret scenes. So listeners can just think back to my angry rants about that from recent podcasts. So, you know, I don't have to do it again. Uh, But Ron has given us a lot of material to draw from through the season uh, as we go through the rules to figure out how he did. And of course, you can find the full rules at robhaswebsite.com slash Survivor 38 rules. And uh, if you've been listening, you also know that there's this shorter and much more colorful version of the rules that we've been talking about, which you can find at tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. Yes, you should absolutely order one on eBay. They are 11 by 17. They look fantastic in a frame. And I think it would be, you know, just a nice purchase for you to have and display in anywhere that you would find it appropriate, like David Bloomberg did in his office. That's right. And uh, also, just uh, for anyone who hasn't gotten one yet, we have a special announcement related to the poster. When we were in Philadelphia together, we autographed 10 of them uh, because, you know, people there, some of them wanted autographs. But other people obviously couldn't take them that way. They couldn't get them home on the plane, whatever. Uh, So we autographed 10 of them. And so anyone who orders and if you mention that you want one of the autographed ones, we'll send you one of those if you're in the first 10. Yes. And please, for the shipping department's understanding of what you are desirous of, let me know (laughs) when you order. So that way you will get the correct poster. Yeah. Uh, But getting back to Ron. I've seen a number of people point out how he previously told his alliance that they just needed to stick together until the loved ones visit. Uh, And well, they did. They did. And uh, so as Alanis Morissette would say, isn't it ironic? (laughs) I love that you went back early 90s on that one. That's good. (laughs) I don't feel like that's back to me, you know, but. uh, No, I understand. Yeah. Uh, But. But the show made it seem like a main reason Ron was voted out was because he alienated Victoria and others by not taking them on the loved one's reward. Clearly, that doesn't tell the whole story because Gavin cast not one but two votes against Ron Mm. and he was chosen for that reward. But it does shine a light on how many players don't want to win the loved one's challenge. And I was looking back at my notes preparing for this podcast and I was reminded that back. In the preseason, there was an ET Canada video that was just about the question of loved ones reward versus food reward. Mm. And Ron answered without hesitation that he would pick the family visit, which he did. But there's an interesting side note. Rick said he would throw the loved ones reward challenge. Uh, He even said that uh, he and his wife had talked about it ahead of time because he didn't want to be the one who picked who got to join him. and. So I think he literally threw the challenge. And when I say literally, it's because he literally threw water at Becca's head to drench her. He really did. And how cute was it that he was like talking to her about the kids and what was going on back at home like while they were standing there? That was so fantastic. That was yeah, a really I mean, great moment. At that point, whether he was throwing it or not, you know, he could look around and see there's no way we're going to win this, which means I'm not going to get to spend any time with her. So I might as well just talk to her now. Right. And she was a great sport getting water dumped all over her head like that. Yes. But yeah, I was glad that they brought that challenge back, too. That was it's I, I prefer the loved ones visit challenges where the loved ones are actually part of the challenge. And it's been a while since we've seen that. So it was really nice that they brought that back. And it might have been inspired by someone that we often read about who posts things on Twitter, Dalton Ross. Oh, okay. yeah. I just learned that Good. today. Apparently there is a Dalton Ross board 
in the CBS Survivor World executive suite, I guess. And that was one of the things that he had suggested. And it's on the board. And that's why they decided to do it, according to Jeff Probst. I thought you meant like a Dalton Ross dartboard where Jeff Probst throws darts at (laughs) Dalton Ross's face or something. Now, they didn't say that there was a dartboard, but who knows if darts are involved. But there's apparently a Dalton Ross board. Yeah. Must be nice. I, I, you know, they, they need to start listening to us because we have some pretty good ideas, too. You know, that's what Although, I said. I was jealous. You know, most of them are. Don't do that anymore. Yeah, that's true. Maybe so. they maybe they shouldn't listen. <laughs> no, they should. They should. I might, I might get in trouble. I don't know. Well, yeah. So, OK, they can just listen to me then. OK, yeah, just mute me, CBS. I'm sorry yeah. for everything I've already said. <laughs> I've often said if more people would just listen to me, this world would be a much better place. And ah, that, that goes that. to Survivor, too. So. There you go. Yeah. And you... I have I have your advantage. So no one on the Internet can argue with me. I, I I'm. Yes, go ahead and try. <laughs> I promise you it's good. I promise yeah. you it's still good. <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, Ron did get his wish to win that challenge and then he got voted out. But like I said, that was not by any means the main reason. So you mentioned earlier we have a lot to talk about with him. So let's get to the rules and we can figure out the real reasons why Ron lost. Yes. The first rule is, of course, to scheme and plot, and it's clear that Ron knew and followed this. As he told his husband on the reward, I lied, I cheated, and I manipulated. And he also said, I love having power and control, and you know, he enjoyed being in the position to make a decision. For a good chunk of the game, he had that power and control, though he did have to retreat for a while when Eric was voted out. And, but he used that time to reconnect once again uh, before appearing to take control of the alliances in the game for another time. But appearing is the key word because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about him, Uh, you know, but he had the right idea for this role. Yeah, I do think that he was impressive in the manner in which he went about playing the game, because I almost feel like his scheming and plotting came in waves, if you will, where like when he was like on a high, he was like, all right, like he was very, very kind of aggressive and really forceful, not even not forceful in a bad way, but like you knew he was doing it. He wasn't trying to be sneaky about it. But then when things didn't go his way, he still managed to scheme and plot, but he did it from almost like a broken standpoint or he was like i'm so sorry i'll do whatever i have to do just tell me whose (laughs) name to write down but that was all i think part of his ploy so i you know i really do think that he was able to read the environment very well and and where the game was at and what was happening with those that he was playing the game with and he changed the manner in which he was playing depending upon that particular environment i thought that was impressive but when he was on those highs Sometimes it was a little too high, you know, and it was yeah. a little too much. Yeah. I mean, but when we go back to the beginning, he he began his scheming from the get go. First of all, mm-hmm. he hid who he really was. Uh, and, and we know that because Victoria and others said on Twitter that most or all of them didn't know you know, who he was in terms of his fame, his Oprah connection, the movie right. about him, the school named after him. I know. It's amazing. Yeah. And it was definitely smart for him to keep that secret. and. You know, and then he got in good with Joe early 
even saying in an episode two web confessional when they still did web confessional <laughs> that he would never vote Joe out. Now, obviously that changed and at the merge when Ron tried to work with Joe and got a poor response from him. Ron helped make sure that Joe got the boot. Mm-hmm. And even at that time, he was complimenting Joe's work on their camp on Twitter. And I, you know, remarked, well, yeah, Joe wanted you to be grateful so you wouldn't vote Joe out. Ron rightly replied, Survivor isn't a game of favors. Yeah, and that's clear that that's not the game he was playing. He was not right. playing a game of favors at all. No. Yeah. But he did acknowledge what benefit Joe brought to the tribe. And and he was able to look at whether or not working with Joe was going to be beneficial to him. And I think that that was one thing that Ron did a lot of in assessing the relationships he had with each person and how that was going to further his game. And that's something that I don't know if enough survivors necessarily do when they're coming up with their next move and how they're going to play the game is that they lose sight of their own game. And I, he never lost sight of his own game. I don't think he was constantly like thinking about Ron. Right. And you know, I mean, throughout the game, we saw examples of him doing that and, and scheming and plotting. You know, at, at the merge feast, he had a web confessional saying he was trying to figure out who to sit by and bond yes, with because, yes. quote, it's a lot more than just some food. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He helped to build what he called a chasm in Lesu because he wanted that rift to be so strong. Nobody's going to cross it. That was a quote again. He wanted David and Rick to think of the, the other Lesu three as evil and be so mad that they would never go back to work with them. Mm-hmm. And. You know, while he was trying to break up opposing alliances, he was also trying to pull specific people to his side. For example, he kept giving support to Aurora as he, you know, described in an episode eight web confessional. Uh, he was almost always doing a lot of acting at tribal council, such as when he talked last week about wanting things calm and having true relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, we obviously knew better because we saw his confessionals. And, you know, he also dropped wisdom like, saying you need to know not just who you're voting for now, but who you're working with going forward. And you you can see that in the example of him and Julie, because he was confident enough in his relationship with her to make a move uh, a couple weeks ago that he knew she wouldn't like. And then he knew that she would still come back to him. Yeah, he was such a great manipulator. He really was truly impressive. The guy could lie so well. <laughs> and and but he was OK with it and he knew that that's what he needed to do. And he's owning it. Obviously, it was one of the first things he talked about when he got to Extinction Island about how he lied and he cheated and he told his loved one the same. But he did it in a way that it still worked. People still wanted to play the game with him. People still were willing to make moves with him. And like you've already mentioned, Julie was willing to come back and work with him, even though it was a move that she didn't necessarily agree with. So he was clearly balancing everything very well where he was constantly thinking ahead and i think he talked about in the web confessional too how he's always thinking about playing the game no matter what they're doing he some people might be looking up the stars and he's thinking about survivor and i think that was very apparent in how he played is that he was always thinking ahead i mean and he thought about that and i know we're going to get to that rule but the advantage and what he could do with the advantage if he couldn't use it so he was always his wheels were always turning which was impressive to watch because he did it in not an offensive way, but a, 
a way that made you pay attention and showed that he was clearly paying attention. Yeah. And, you know, even this week. Things obviously didn't go as planned, but he had a backup plan. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it didn't end up being the, the best backup plan. But by telling Rick to vote for Aurora, he believed he was setting things up to get Rick to do the dirty work if Rick did indeed have an idol. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it does bring up the question of whether Ron should have done more to ensure that that was the only backup plan in play or if he was too cocky and assuming everybody else would be going along with the plan. Yeah. And that's where I think this week was a downfall for him is that I do think that he he was at a peak. He was at one of the tops of his waves and he he did get a little cocky and a little too sure of himself. And I think he did lose sight of what was happening around him. He was one person who was selling the loved ones visit so hard and why everyone wants to play to get to that point and how significant the loved ones visit was to everyone. That he might have then lost sight of how that could affect everyone's game moving forward. Because I do think that that affected how Victoria and Lauren were looking at him and the decisions he made and who he brought with that, you know, to the loved ones feast, if you will, or whatever it was, barbecue. I don't know what you want to call it, but <laughs> but it clearly they weren't involved. They weren't included. And so I, I don't know if he just really hit that high and and just decided to go with it because even talking to his loved one in that space was, I can't believe he was saying the things he was saying. He wasn't that far away from everyone else that was there, but he was very sure of himself and, and, and the information he was presenting to his loved one. So I don't know if he did get cocky, but it seemed like he might have been a little bit cocky this week. Yeah. And that actually leads to, um, a a tweet that Dominic Abate sent to Ron saying, fear keeps you sharp. And mm-hmm. Ron replied that those were wise words. And they indeed are, which brings us nicely to the second rule, because scheming and plotting too much can make you think you're safe when you really put yourself into a dangerous position. You know, you mentioned, you know, going to these peaks and valleys and Taryn Armstrong summarized the situation well on Twitter, noting that Ron was mad with power got humbled, begged for his life, and was back to being mad with power again. Yes, that's exactly who Ron was on the show. That is absolutely perfect. I love that description of him. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the original time Ron overdid it was when he and Eric were trying to control everyone and using the loved one's visit as kind of a threat of sorts. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Eric paid the price for that mistake with his game. As I noted back in the Why Eric Lost podcast, the two of them thought they were keeping everyone under control, but it had the opposite effect of drawing attention to themselves. Yeah. And I think that 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 was really one of Ron's problems because his whole idea was to he wanted to make people feel like they were at ease. He talked about this in his getting to know Ron video and that he's a good listener. But he also he also is mindful of the fact that he has a tendency to overthink. And so I just feel like he has so many like qualities about him that they were almost competing in his ability to play the game where he wanted to play the game and he wanted to play it aggressively and wanted to play it hard. But he he had to reel it in sometimes. And I and I feel like he lost sight of that because of he has all of these, I think, really great qualities to play this game very, very well. But sometimes. They, they got to balance each other out and his just weren't. He really was these peaks and valleys. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, 
he, you know, going back to when Eric got voted out, he did recover from that situation by mm-hmm. recognizing that he'd been seen as over scheming and he responded by kowtowing to the yes. uh, upstart. But then he started building up his power again. I mean, that's good. He had to do that. He said this week that when everyone thinks you're on their side, they don't want to vote you out. He's correct until they realize you aren't really on their side. Mm-hmm. And then they do want to vote you out. And yes. you know, the key is, is balance. And Ron seemed to have a difficult time keeping that balance. He re- and that's why I was, it was, he was fascinating to watch because he really is a likable person. And I think he has the ability to create good relationships and bond with people. But yeah, it, it, he's also, and I think you have to look at where Ron is coming from. As we've talked about who Ron Clark actually is in real life. Ron Clark is larger than life. You know, he is one of those people. He runs this incredible school for children. And it's his whole goal when he's running this school is to create an environment for these kids where they can achieve greatness and that they'll they'll have a great time and that they'll be introduced to new things and things they've never done before. And he really has an incredible message. But someone who's doing that has to be at like 150%. Like that's what you're running at. And so for him to like pull back on that a little bit in a situation like this, especially when people don't know who Ron Clark is, I think was really hard for him because he's used to creating things and, and, and having an environment where he kind of, not even that he's in charge, but that he's kind of in control, if you will, but not in a bad way. You know, I mean, he runs a school. So if people come to him for guidance, they come to him for answers. And I think that that was what he was bringing into the game. But unfortunately, it doesn't always work to have that kind of personality. And that's where I think he really did fall short because it was it was just too much. And it was a little too, I think we've already said it, a little too cocky at times. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, before we move to the third rule, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors if there's one in your area. If not, we'll be back even quicker. And we're back. So let's go on to the third rule, uh, which talks about being flexible. How do you think Ron did here? I think he was really great at being flexible, honestly. And I think that that falls into this peaks and valleys analogy that's already been talked about is that when he when he saw he was in a bad position, he was able to change the way he was approaching the game. He was able to, as you said, kowtow to those who were around him when he realized he was on the wrong side of the numbers and save face, if you will, and also save his place in the game. So I do think that he was flexible because he at least was willing to change things up as the game moved on and as things happened that he might not have been ready for if you will when someone went home that he wasn't part of the vote he saw the effect it was having and was able to change the way he approached the game so i do think he was flexible yeah i agree i like his flexibility in that regard and you know of course there was that confessional that i talked about last week when he was kind of basically miming juggling and saying if i don't work with you this week uh maybe next time right he he generally had the ability to do that as evidenced in part by the fact that he was able to work with people, flip on people, and then work with them again. Yeah, this whole season has been weird like that. <laughs> yeah, really and, strange. I mean, I mean, even Jeff Probst described the season as a pinballing type of situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe maybe we've been blaming the editors all this time, and it's the editors are just doing the best they can to keep up with what the players were doing. You know, I mean, Jeff was seeing this live. He didn't see the edited version. 
And that's true. That was that's a really good point because yeah, he did talk about it, and that is that's what it feels like because you really don't know who's going to be with who and where people are going to end up. And uh, yeah, I think the ping pinball analogy was fantastic. Yeah. All right, uh, we can move on to the fourth rule, which tells players not to let their emotions control them. And I, I think Ron was the epitome of following this rule. Oh my he, word! Yeah, he, he knew coming in that this was a game, not real life. Mm-hmm. And he, he even said that he would explain this to the kids at his school. Now, I worried in the preseason podcast that he wouldn't be able to stab someone in the back after befriending them. But we saw he had absolutely no problem with that. Just ask Rick. Them. <laughs> yes. Wow. What a show Rick put on this week. Let me tell you, yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. But yes, I do think that. I, this is what I love about Ron. And I, and I have to go back to that, you know, the crazy tribal council when, um, when Julia ended up going home and how Ron acted throughout that tribal council. I think that that showed his ability to control his emotions, but also use his emotions to his benefit as mm-hmm. things were happening. So he's a really great actor. I think at the same time, he's really great at lying, but I think that he's, He's able to control his emotions and get what he wants. And whereas, you know, Julie was kind of a little bit crazy throughout that (laughs) whole situation. He was he was he appeared to be upset, but he was still on. And he was saying like when he dropped Victoria's name as she was standing there. I mean, that was incredible. And I know he did it. I'm sure he did it on purpose because that was just so perfectly Ron. And I so I think that he was able to to control his emotions and actually use them when he needed to. Right. And he also tried to use other people's emotions to get them to do what he wanted, such Mm -hmm. as, you know, he he tried to do that with Gavin this week, although that clearly didn't work. But but, I mean, part of the reason it didn't work is because Gavin followed this rule and didn't say, well, I'm going to, I owe him because he, he took me on this, you know, as, as Ron himself tweeted to me, Survivor isn't a game of favors. so Right. And yeah, also you know. look at how he interacted with Julie when she felt bad about what they were going to do to Rick. And he was like, no, we, you know, this is what's happened. I mean, he kind of brought, you know, brought her down and made her realize, no, this, it's a, this is what we have to do. This is a game. And yeah. so I, I do think that he, he did have the ability to also control other people's emotions as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just for himself, he seemed to, to relish in this atmosphere where he could put everything else aside and just play the game. Yeah. Oh, he was fun to watch. Definitely fun. All right. Moving to the fifth rule, it discusses how players have to pretend to be nice and play the social game. And even as Ron was playing without emotion, he definitely played up his own personality to ensure that people liked him because, you know, going back even to web confessionals from the second episode, Ron said that he was sharing his passion, energy, and fun so people would get comfortable with him and be on his side. And it apparently worked because in that same episode, you know, Julie said Ron was hysterical and entertaining. Wasn't that the same episode he was twerking with Aubrey? (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember exactly. I don't know, but I'm just saying he created an environment where he created a comma dance. Yes. So, yes, I think that he was he was very good at playing the social game. And he actually, I think, in one of his web confessionals talked about how he was playing the best social game. Uh, And I don't know if it's the best social game, but he clearly was being what people needed. He was listening to people. He was talking to people. He was formulating relationships and with an end 
result in mind, you know, with what he wanted the game to turn into. So he was using those relationships to his benefit. So I do think he he did well with the social component of it. Yeah, I mean, I, everyone seemed to like Ron through most of the game. I mean, there were some times when he slipped a little, such as when he basically said in Tribal Council that his group was running the game, which was not a good look for him. It was mm-hmm. generally agreed. And, you know, nor was his fight over Rice with Aurora. But I, I, those were aberrations, I think. Most of the time he was pushing friendship, camaraderie. And, I mean, he even introduced the remaining uh, contestants to his husband by saying, these are my friends. Yes, he did. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know there's a lot of discussion and good uh, imitations of him on a couple of other podcasts this week, but I, I'm not going to be able to do a Ron voice. Oh, that's too bad. I would have so, enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, but we do have to address the issue brought up by the loved ones reward. And you kind of hinted at it earlier. And if you were going in the direction, I think, you know, we may disagree here. Um, which you're not allowed to do because I have that advantage. But oh, uh, damn it. I thought uh, it wasn't uh, good anymore. Yeah. Oh, wait, I, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I thought he picked the two most obvious choices. I mean, everyone knows he's super tight with Julie, and she would not have appreciated it if he didn't pick her. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as Stephen Fishback said in his blog, while some may criticize his choice of his ally Julie, not taking your ally on a loved one's reward is a good way to ensure they're no longer your ally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, picking the guy who had to move up his wedding date and didn't get a honeymoon seems like a solid choice as well. Yeah, but, even though that wasn't the real reason. Well, right. But I mean, to everybody else, he made that the reason. Right. But, you know, sometimes logic goes out the window when it comes to people who were not picked to go on the loved one's visit. Uh, Victoria said, if there's ever a reward where picking someone is crucial, it's the loved one's visit. Who you, who you pick can make or break your game. The suggestion was, of course, that Ron's pick helped, well, break his game. Mm-hmm. But I, I just don't think that's the case. It was not a revelation that Ron and Julie were super tight. And as I mentioned earlier, Gavin joined the plan to vote against Ron. So, I mean, the thing is, Ron was already a potential target. And I don't think this reward had anything at all to do with it. Well, here's my thoughts on that. I don't think that he picked people that were shocking or anything that wasn't expected. But what I do think is the approach to the loved one's visit. He was coming at a much different place than you've already talked about Rick Devins, where Rick Devins was willing to throw the loved one's visit just because he knows the impact it has. And I'm sure that that response from Victoria and Lauren you saw them crying when they were standing there. I mean, that is that is an emotional moment. And you've spent 30 days being surrounded by people that are lying to you that you don't know if you can trust. You haven't been able to have like an actual, real, comfortable conversation with one person in 30 days. That can really affect your emotional state. And then all of a sudden, here's your dad, you know, or here's a family member. Here's someone that you haven't seen in 30 days. And even more than 30 days, be mindful because they have the pregame stuff to go through as well. So I think that Victoria and Lauren's response, though, it it was a good argument to make. Well, well, look who Ron brought on the loved one visit. There's like a trigger there. And I so I don't think he necessarily made the wrong choice, but I don't think I'd want to win the loved one's visit. I never got a chance to because I picked the rock. But it's one of those situations where it, it everyone's struggling so much with seeing their loved one and then they 
don't get to. And they look at you and go, he's the reason why I didn't get to see my loved one because he didn't pick me. Even if the person you pick makes absolute sense. The person on the other end who's not getting picked, it, it's kind of one of those things that I think just sticks in your brain and it just kind of festers a little bit. And then you talk about it and it, it builds. And then you talk to the other person who feels like they missed out because they didn't get to see their loved one. So I just feel like it's not that he picked the wrong people. I think his winning probably didn't help him. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it helped him. I just don't, I, he was already on everyone's mind for reasons that we will uh, discuss shortly. And we have to remember he wasn't even the number one target. He mm-hmm. was the backup target. Right. You know, if if they had really been that pissed about it, they could have made him the number one target. Oh, they no, had, they absolutely they could have. Yep. Oh, and they did. And it's, but it's just one of it's a reason. And that's what Survivor, I think, boils down to is that people need a reason to vote for people when and sometimes when you're looking at who your options are and you you need something to point to. Well, he didn't take me on this reward. OK, that's a reason. Mm-hmm. And that's what people do sometimes when they're out there. There are other reasons why they should have chose Ron. And we're going to talk about that. <laughs> but, yeah, I do think that this is one more thing that they could point to and go, well, what about Ron? Ron left us here on the beach and we're eating rice and we don't get to see our loved ones. Well, they're off having a fabulous time with all of their loved ones. So I just I feel like it's just one more reason for them to point to and say. That was why we decided to vote him out. Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, the sixth rule, because I just mentioned, you know, we were just talking about Ron was already a potential target. Mm -hmm. And, you know, rather than us hinting at the question of why, we'll we'll go ahead, because, um, you know, we talked about somewhat in the second rule, but this rule now talks about being too much of a threat. And we talked last week about how there has been a massacre of threats leading up to this point. It just keeps happening. Yeah. Kelly got rid of David the shield and was voted out. War Dog got rid of Kelly the shield and was voted out. Ron thought he had one more shield ahead of him in Rick, but he was still next in line after that. And, you know, Rick said, we keep going back to this. Rick said in the last episode that he, Ron, and War Dog were each other's biggest threats and biggest hope, adding that the others wanted to build their resumes by taking out one of the three. And then he said in a confessional that those three needed each other as shields because if one of them went out, it would be a feeding frenzy. Nobody listened. And now his statement has been acting as a very accurate prognostication. Ooh, prognostication. Yeah. Maybe that should be the hashtag. I don't know about that. I don't think people could spell it correctly, but (laughs) it would take some take some thought. But no, I do. I do see that that's exactly what's happening because that is what's happening. Everyone who has been labeled this larger than life threat or someone who is going to win the game, someone who's basically, yeah, a threat to win, someone you don't want to sit next to in the final three is they're all just getting taken out one by one. And it's like a domino effect. Yeah. And, you know, I I don't think this came as a surprise to Ron because he even said Since I'm the one in charge, it puts a target on me. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I think he felt he had at least one shield ahead of him and Rick. And he probably thought Aurora would serve as a shield as well because she'd been a target for so long in large part because of her challenge performances. But with Aurora, Ron didn't take into account that very often, and we've discussed this before, very often someone who was a target 
becomes a desirable final tribal council opponent, which I believe is what we're seeing with her. I think you are absolutely correct on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, for this vote, Ron didn't realize that those who saw him as a threat were already a step ahead of him, as I'm, you know, as we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, this is a number or excuse me, this is a game that's coming down in numbers and you now have six. And so, well, six after this person is voted out. Right. So everyone is is looking at who are these seven people and who do I potentially want to sit next to in the final three? And I won't really have much by way of that choice because of this fire making challenge. So I have to think about four and who do I want to have at that four? So the numbers become very significant and important and you have to kind of work through those numbers. How many votes do we have before I can get this person out? How many more votes do I have where I can get this person out? And I think everyone's kind of doing that. And here's a situation where their number one target, Rick, they tried, but they can't vote him out because obviously he ended up playing an an immunity idol so they they then have to look at who's next and it's it's that you go down the list and it, and ron's going to be the next one on that list and so it makes sense that they targeted ron because ron is somebody who if he's sitting in the final three his ability to communicate and explain himself and explain why he did certain things i think he would he would win people over because he would own everything he did and he would be proud of it. And I do think that in the current state of Survivor is, and they said this at one of the, you know, that when you get the taste for blood of the blind side, you know, I mean, and, and so I think that this is a group that's going to appreciate moves like that. They're going to really like when people are almost plain dirty. They're going to reward people for that because I think that's what they all wanted to be able to do. So I think Ron would have done exceptionally well with that. Well, and we know that because the the one clip we saw of Extinction Island was Reem, the person yes. who literally reams people whenever they show up, says, oh, everyone talks about how you're the nicest guy. Yeah. And yet she had no reason to be bitter at him because, you know, she never met him until that point. Mm-hmm. But what she said was everyone is talking about this. Everyone says that yeah. everyone on the jury is saying that. Well, then that's a bad sign for anyone who would want to face him in the final three. Absolutely. Yeah. Real, And he's getting hugs when he gets back. I mean, it's it, he's he's clearly someone who is able to make those around him feel comfortable and understand why he's doing what he's doing. I think that his his ability to communicate would have definitely. And, you know, I mean, there's a chance for someone to come back in. So who knows? Maybe we'll see it. But right. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that that comment from Reem will actually mean something going forward if he gets to come back in. Mm-hmm. So, all right, uh, we can move on to the seventh rule, and that covers idols and advantages. And much like we talked about in the first rule, we have a lot of good things a couple, uh, along with a couple missteps. From the very beginning, we saw Ron grab the secret advantage clue on the boat. And I've mentioned previously that he tweeted that everyone else had left the boat except Mm -hmm. for uh, Kelly, David and himself, all of whom were looking for that advantage. Mm -hmm. And he even added they were useless for getting stuff for their tribes, but he wasn't leaving the boat until he found it. Yeah. And and then he had to dig up the actual advantage. And while we were watching him do that, many of us thought he took too much time. He got too dirty. And, you know, certainly someone would suspect something. but. No, he told me on Twitter 
that he waited like five hours before sneaking off. And he was throwing up from a spider bite because he's allergic. And everyone thought he was gathering himself, which is, you know, in the midst of an allergic reaction, <laughs> that is pretty smart thinking on his part for using that as a cover. Absolutely. And, you know, he, he also told me on Twitter that it took him like 15 minutes to dig up the advantage, which was why he was so tired that he, he you know, almost passed out afterwards. But he knew he had to get back because, in his, his words, Aubrey misses nothing. Yes. And and that's the one thing I do think that he clearly is showing his his awareness of his circumstances. The fact that he was one of three people that stayed on the boat and the other two were returnees speaks volumes of the gameplay level that he was starting out at. And then we saw what he was going to do with that advantage if he couldn't get to use it. He planned ahead and determined that he could rip off the bottom. This was only good for so long. So he was already thinking of all of these options. I mean, he had a menu, which was an incredible menu to have, but he didn't get to use it in the way that he wanted to. So he came up with another way to use it that we saw Rick try. And it was a great play by Rick. But, you know, that was that was being very creative and and determining how best to use it. And the way in which he presented it to Rick, I also think was good because it, it was it a little suspect. Sure. But yeah. he, but he explained it in a way that also made Rick think it kind of makes sense. So he even had Rick thinking that this might actually be legit. So, you know, I do think that, that he had an ability to understand advantages. And also we know he was looking for idols. I mean, he talked about even the merge feast. You've already talked about how, right. He wanted to sit next to certain people. He was also looking for idols during that time, too, because he knew there was going to be more here, as you said, than just food. So, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that he was very aware of idols and advantages and how best to utilize them. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to what he what what you just said about him giving it to Rick, you know, he it initially seemed like he had a decent reason to give Rick the fake advantage. And, you know, he was making it appear like he was making up with Rick after turning on him again. And, and, you know, I guess the idea was perhaps to make Rick less likely to try as hard in the immunity challenge or finding an idol. But when you really sit down and think about it, those reasons are a bit dubious because Rick knew that he was probably going to be a target for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. So I doubt that he would just rest on his laurels because, well, I I'm safe this vote. I, I mean, right. I can understand the attempt, but it, it it didn't really play out that way. And then urging Rick to play it at tribal council served yeah. no mm-hmm. purpose at all and only made him look bad. I mean, not that it ended up mattering by, you know, because he was voted out. But if it hadn't gone that way, if his plan had actually worked, he would have been the one who looked bad. Yeah, which he clearly did Rick made sure of that that right. he and Julie both looked bad in front of the jury so it certainly didn't work out to his benefit but i at least can appreciate the idea of it and the manner in which he was attempting to utilize it yeah i mean to me it's different than when like david david wright made the fake idol and planted it so jay would find it mhm because yeah. then Okay, Jay thinks he's found an idol. He's going to stop searching. Yeah. And anyone else who knows Jay has found the idol will also stop searching. 
Well, could he have done that? I mean, could he have played the, oh my goodness, he could have done that. Okay, think about this. I just had an epiphany. I'm sorry. As yeah, apparently, we're, I as wasn't we're sure talking, what happened there. I know. So this whole weird thing with Extinction Island and how people can send things to other hmm. people, wouldn't it have been better if he had like put it in an envelope and just put it in Rick's bag? Because oh, that would have been funny. Right, because then Rick would have thought that he got another gift from one of his friends at Extinction Island. Well, and it wouldn't have blown back on Ron. But yes. I, I feel like Ron did it this way because he wanted to take credit for tricking Rick and yeah. didn't think about how it might look bad for him. But again, that's Ron being at the top of his wave and getting yeah. a little too cocky where yeah. he's, yes, he has the ability to to think about this game in, in many levels and scheme and plot, but he lost sight of if I do this and it doesn't come out the way that I want it to, I'm going to potentially end up looking like an ass, which is, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but you know, and, and, but Rick made sure of that. Rick wanted everybody right. to know what Ron and Julie had done to him. So yeah, it ended up blowing up in his face. So if he, wow, I think that would have been a really great play if he had just kind of pretended like it was one of his little friends from Extinction Island, he might have just bought it. Yeah, but it still wouldn't have stopped him from finding the actual idol. Well, and that's true, but he might, he might have been less because his, here's the thing. Ron hands it to him and he's like, he's suspicious. He believes Mm -hmm. him, but he's still questioning like, is this a legit thing? If it's in his bag, now we already know he'd gotten a favor from David from Extinction Island in an envelope that disappeared in his bag. And he was like, Ooh, look at this. I got this thing in my bag from, from David. I just wonder if that could have been something that he well, yeah. could have he attempted. Wouldn't need, he wouldn't need to find an envelope. It came uh, in an envelope. Um, yeah, but I think it said secret advantage on it or something. like. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying there, yeah. there yeah. there's, there's, there might be something there. That's know. right. Instead of them searching through his bag, they should have planted something in his bag. Yes, because this is one of the problems with Extinction Island and people putting things in your bag. Yeah. Yeah. So but but before I, I before we leave this rule, I do want to mention one other idle related item, which is related to Rick running around and searching because the others knew and talked about the fact that Rick was out looking for an idol. But we didn't see anyone tailing him. I know. And you know, Joe Mena said on Twitter that he guesses these players never watched his season and don't believe in following someone searching for an idol. Now, it, it is possible that the others did follow him some of the time and we just didn't see it. But if they were really worried about it, they needed to be all over him. Yeah. So, you know, why wasn't someone with him all the time? I agree. I, I, I think it's possible that Ron in particular didn't bother because he thought he had his backup plan of Rick voting out Aurora anyway. It's possible. Now, I want to mention another thing, too, and this is going to be weird because it's not necessarily an <laughs> idol or an advantage. But think about this for a second, because this is worth recognizing. One of the things that Ron said in his pregame interviews, if you could have three things on the island, what would they be and why? He said a returning player that others would focus on voting out so that the target wouldn't be on me. So he wanted a returning player that others would focus on so he wouldn't be the focus of a vote. That was before he knew what the season was, because that's something that, you know, CBS has you on your bios. You answer these questions. So he didn't know that he was coming onto a season with returning players. But I almost feel like 
he recognized the benefit that a returning player would give mm-hmm. to him and he utilized that in his game. So it's kind of like this weird advantage, if you will, that he, <laughs> that he saw that as a potential advantage for his game. I realize it's a stretch, but I had to give him props for that because I was like, Oh, look at that. He was already very aware of that as being a potential. And I think he did use it to his advantage. So CBS has you fill out those bios beforehand and they don't let you adjust them afterwards. Well, they do. Uh, let me just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, heard. time out. No, no, time out. Okay. All right, let's back up. Okay. I don't want so, you to break any, you know, no, no, and rules I, I'm here. not breaking any rules, but I can tell you this. You fill it out. That's, that's part of your initial application. Like if you could bring mm-hmm. three things to the island, what would you bring? Right. So you, so you put that on your initial application. Once you're on the show, then they revisit it with you like, okay. We're just, you know, we, because they have to do your CBS bio, but you right. still don't know what your season is going to be. Well, I, I mean, I had heard that sometimes uh, players adjusted their bios after the season was over. No, because that. No. Well, you know, maybe maybe other people did do that. But okay. I, these are things that I know that they have before the season starts. I know that much. Okay. All right. Um so anyway, I mean, we always treat them that way when we're doing our preseason podcast, but, you know, uh, all right. So I got to give him props. I got to yeah, give him props. Yeah. All right. We can move on to Appendix A, which is about the rest of the tribe. Keeping Bloomberg is like, shut up, mind. Jessica. Let's move yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> I already moved on. He's pulling a shut up, Jessica. <laughs> I would never do that. Oh, that's good. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, Appendix A, uh, keeping your end goals in mind when voting. And a big part of this rule is that they should, whenever possible, vote out the weak and the strong, then the weak and the strong. And voting out the strong clearly continued here as they tried to vote out the biggest jury threats of Rick and Ron. And, you know, I, I, I think they all made the right choice of trying to vote out the biggest threat, Rick, first. Mm-hmm. You know, Ron and Julie made the mistake of thinking everyone would get behind the idea of voting out Aurora as a backup. But the others led by Victoria realized that if they couldn't get to threat number one, they might as well get threat number two. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it was it was hard for Gavin to vote out Ron after Ron had just taken him on the family visit reward. But Gavin put that aside and he made the right game move. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that they they made the right choice with the other option, stepping down from Rick, who's next, and it's Ron. So absolutely, they made the right choice. Yeah. And, you know, as for Rick, well, he didn't vote against Ron, but it really didn't matter. He wasn't trying to specifically target someone. He was trying to survive the vote. And from his perspective at the time, it made sense for him to not target Ron, because if Ron was telling him the truth, then he could have worked with him because, of course, you know, you have to vote before you know if that advantage is real or fake. I love the way he played it. That was so fun. That was yeah, incredible. And, you know, I mean, that's what we'll get into in Appendix B here, because you know, we haven't really been specifically discussing Appendix B, which talks about the jury phase. And part of the reason is the jury phase started at the very beginning of the game, unbeknownst to the players. Yeah, but, the whole jury thing is kind of very strange at this oh, point. Yeah. yeah, I was explaining it to uh, to one of my cousins and um, not the younger cousin, uh, my New York cousin. And she was like, wait, 
how many people are going to be on this jury? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's just confusing even to someone who watches all the time. Listen, even yeah. my mother, who is not the world's biggest survivor fanatic, she watches it because obviously her daughter was on it. So now she's been watching it. But even she's looking at it going, I don't understand what's going on with this jury. Like, how are they going to have so many people on the jury? That doesn't seem right. That she, and in her mind, Reem shouldn't be on the jury because she was, she was well, voted I out first. I knew I liked your mom. <laughs> I, I don't think Reem should be on the jury either, but yeah, it's, it's very, very weird, especially since someone's coming back and they've yeah. been hanging out this whole time. Yeah, which uh, is why they should be target number one the minute they get back in, but we'll get to that. All right. Um, but, but I, I guess, uh, to continue here, yeah, a more pertinent reason that we haven't been talking about it is it just hasn't come into play much. You know, we we could have mentioned it back when Julia talked about wanting to vote out strong players to compete in the next challenge to return, but that was more about game strategy than about jury management. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't think we've really seen anyone voting specifically to put people on the jury who will favor them, but we have seen Rick playing to the jury mm-hmm. and you know uh, Dominic Abate noted on the recap podcast that Rick talked in a way that made himself look like the victim to the jury and then he kind of brought the mood up with his jokes and this jury in particular has been starved for entertainment beyond Reem screeching at the newest <laughs> person to join them and you know so you know Rick also set himself up to look good to the jury by talking about how Ron tried to make him look bad in front of his family. And then he triumphantly played the idol. And if Ron hadn't been immediately voted out, Rick would have succeeded in making Ron look bad. In addition to Julie, you know, Rob added on, on that recap podcast that the jury roots for the underdog. Yes. And Rick has been playing that role. Yes. So, you know, he also might've put himself into a position where he ends up getting credit for orchestrating the whole vote, even though he didn't, you know, meaning Victoria might not get the credit that's due to her. She's mm-hmm. working in secret while Rick yes. is out there taking the spotlight, which could come back to haunt her if they both end up in the final three. Yes. And that's the problem with Extinction Island is that you have the only thing that these people are seeing when you're on the jury. The only thing that you're seeing is what happens at tribal council. That's all you're seeing. And you will only see whatever Jeff decides to talk about. So if it's something that he wants to bring up, that he wants to focus on. And I remember in my season, very rarely was there any emphasis ever pointed to uh, like the immunity challenge. And if it was close or if anyone was doing a really good job, you didn't really know what happened. So you were kind of left with like, okay, well, that person won. I don't know anything about the immunity challenge. So then you're like, well, what am I going to see? So idle plays like that really become very significant because it gave him an opportunity. It gave Rick a chance to tell a story that the jury didn't know about. They didn't know that there was this lie that Ron had told him and that Julie had been part of it. And and this whole thing that made the jury clearly react and sat up to pay attention because this is new information and this is something we know nothing about. And it's it's beyond the questions that Jeff is is posing and rick has done an exceptional job pointing out the fact that he is the target that he is the next to go selling himself as the underdog and so anything that he can do to salvage that 
idea that he's going home in front of the jury, like, look, I won immunity or look, I played an idol is going to bode exceptionally well for him when he's in the final three. <laughs> Just saying. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. And, and you're right. You know, he is out there. He is taking the spotlight and Victoria may be doing a lot of work in secret, but I have a feeling if, if the two of them are in the final three, we're going to be talking about why she lost because she kept her scheming too secret. Yes. Yeah. I and completely he, agree. You know, she needs to tell the jury what she's doing and she can't do it at the very, very end because by that yes. point, people's minds are too made up and you can't just completely flip the script and say, no, I was the mastermind this whole time. Nobody will believe you in most right. cases. And and what is what is the jury scene of Victoria when there was a moment for her to shine? They saw Victoria running over to the other side that was flipping the script on comma and going, okay, who am I going to vote for? What are we doing? What, because right. And in her mind, it was because, well, I want to be on the right side of the numbers. Well, that's great. And that makes sense. But to the jury, you just look like someone who has just completely folded and been like, I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to flip on all my people. And that's what I'm going to do. And so you don't have a good look in front of the jury. And she hasn't had that shining moment in front of the jury where she can say, yeah, look at everything I'm doing because she is keeping her game very even keel, very centered, very quiet when Rick is not. And you have to be mindful of that. And people are going back to Extinction Island or whatever you call it, these exile. Yeah. I can't even remember anymore. And they're talking about what happens. And and I just I really feel like that's going to help certain people and it's going to hurt other people as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is part of the reason that you see this, the, the, these reactions by some fans. You know, some fans are like, ah, we hate Rick. We love Victoria. You know, Rick is being pushed on us and Victoria is the mastermind. And, you know, he he's doing this and she's doing that. And it's like, well, OK, but in many cases, their logic just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Rick is doing what he believes is best for his game. Victoria is doing what she believes is best for her game. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we'll find out, you know, which, which one was right. But you can't get mad at Rick and say, oh, he's terrible when all he's doing is, you know, he's using his best maneuvering. Yes. And the thing is, he is well liked out there. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry that some of the fans don't like him, but he is well liked out there. You know, Aurora even said in the uh, in the immunity challenge. Yeah, we all love Rick, but we got to get rid of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, the, he is playing a social game that has him well liked, but has also made him a huge threat. Not to get to you know why Rick lost again or anything. It's going to uh, be right why he won. Why well, Rick it could won? Be you know, but he's going to. I mean, he's going to need more immunities and and idols to get there because he is one of the biggest threats still. And people are seeing that, but he is still trying to get the jury on his side by making him look like an underdog. To us, the viewers, he doesn't necessarily look like an underdog. And I think Rob mentioned that on one of the podcasts, maybe on This Week in Survivor. Um, you know, to us, he doesn't because of the edit that we're seeing. Right, right. But to the jury, he does look like the underdog. Everybody's coming for him. That's the definition of the underdog. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So, I mean, personally, I don't pick who I'm rooting for based on who's the underdog. I get into plenty of arguments with people 
not they're not allowed to this week because of the advantage. But um, you know, Big Brother, especially people will flip who they're who they're a fan of depending on who the underdog is. I don't really get that personally. Uh, I'm you know I root for who's you know likable and good gameplay. Um, mm-hmm. But but you know everybody's allowed to root for whoever they want to. Uh, as uh, someone said to me on Twitter, we're fans. That means that sometimes we're not logical. Uh, That's true. So, um, so, yes. But, you know, I'm always going to be logical at least, uh, <laughs> to the best of my ability. So, but please feel free to root for Rick. He's amazing. Oh, well, believe me, if, if Rick wins, I win money. So of course I'm rooting for Rick in that regard. But <laughs> you know, I've, I've had lots of people uh, where that was the situation and I, uh, you know, I didn't win. But also, if if uh, Lauren or Aurora wins, I probably win also. So. Mm, and if Rick but, wins, then I get a Jessica, you are right soundbite, right? You have one of those backed up? Ready so to anyway, go? let's uh, move on to, uh, <laughs> we've gone through all the rules. Uh, so what are your final thoughts on Ron? Oh, my final thoughts on Ron. I want to go back to something that Ron said in his pregame interviews. And it was that he was going to do whatever it takes to win. And he said it in a very aggressive fashion. I remember him moving his arms a lot as he was as he was saying these words. And he said, I'm an aggressive person. But he has been told by people that know him, let the game come to you. Be patient. And I think that's what we saw happen with Ron. And I, and, and I can't get past the analogy that the peaks and valleys, uh, I called it a wave. But I do think that that's what happened with Ron, is that Ron came into this game knowing that he was going to be aggressive and that he wanted to play an aggressive game and he wanted to be in control. But his family recognized that he might need to be a little patient. People that knew Ron recognized what Ron needed to do. And I don't think Ron recognized what he needed to do all of the time. He did some of the times. He was very good at realizing when suddenly he was on the wrong side of the numbers and he needed to make nice with all of those people that didn't vote with him. And as Bloomberg said, kowtow to those people. I like that terminology and really kind of put himself in a position to say, you just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. And that's fine. And I think he did that because he knew that was best for his game. But unfortunately, I think his peaks and valleys were too much. And it was it was when he got on those highs, it was too much for him to really be mindful of how it was being perceived by other people who were playing the game with him. And I do think even though he was very good at creating relationships and being a good communicator and being likable and sociable, he just had a tendency to be a little too much at times. And I think people saw that as the true threat that it was that if he sat next to them in that final three, he would be able to communicate these things exceptionally well, talk about all of the things that he did, and it would be celebrated, if you will, even if it was something kind of conniving like lying to rick devins about that advantage and doing something that was a little sneaky and underhanded and mean and lying i think it would have gotten a lot of credit for it and i think he would have it would have shown well in front of the jury so i do think that ron came into this game having a good idea of how he wanted to play and understanding what his abilities were and what he brought to this game but i just think that his peaks and valleys were a little bit too much and he couldn't find the balance that he really needed to keep himself in the game all the way until the end. All right. Yeah, I uh you know, I just had a long drive through the Illinois prairie, so I don't I don't understand peaks and valleys at all. <laughs> <laughs> all 
But, it's a good uh, analogy. Ron, yeah. You know, I mean, like you said, Ron came into Survivor with a plan, and it was a pretty good one. He put aside his emotions because he recognized that Survivor is a game, and he was there to play it. And bravo to him for that. And, you know, Ron certainly did play hard. He had a great deal of control for a long time, lost that control, and had to build it back up again. Right when he thought he was in charge again, those he thought he had under his thumb had other ideas of their own, much like the first time he thought that. A big part of the problem was that Ron, like Wardog and Kelly before him, didn't adequately plan for the fact that he was one of the next players in the threat line while he was steadily knocking off the threats ahead of him. It obviously had to be done, but the timing and manner opened him up to being one of the next in line to be voted out. He thought he had Rick ahead of him, and he even believed Aurora was there too. But those who had turned on him once before did it again, and they were one step ahead of him. When Rick didn't fall for Ron's fake advantage ploy and found a real idol, the backup plan kicked in and Ron got kicked out just like the threats who had preceded him. He, Rick, and Wardog had all talked about how they needed to be there for each other or else all of them would be picked off. And so far, that's exactly what's been happening. And that is why Ron lost. Excellent. All right. So it is time for predictions once again. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it still looks like Rick is in serious danger. And the second preview makes it even clearer that he is running around looking for idols and even messing with the rest of his tribe. I think at one point he jumps out at someone and yells, boo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, at least it looks like the others learn their lesson and they're trying to follow him. Mm-hmm. But so uh, Rob has been talking on the, the podcast this week about when the returnee will come back from Extinction Island. I was originally thinking it would be in the next episode, but Rob has pretty well convinced me, Rob and others, that it would be the finale. Now, we saw a clip in the preview indicating that those on the edge uh, get news, which is probably information about the return. But we don't know if that happens early or at the end of the episode as preparation heading to the finale. Uh, So, I don't know. I, I think it's probably at this point not happening to the finale. but. If someone comes back as a surprise in in this upcoming episode, that could help save Rick for another vote, depending on who it is, because someone comes back from the jury. You're going to want to get rid of them right away. Mm-hmm. You, they cannot make it to the end. They've just been hanging with the jury. Yep. So but, you know, we'll set that aside. Keep that in mind in case it turns out they do come back. But I think, you know, Rob has convinced me it's going to be the finale. So getting back to Rick, he was prominently and obviously featured as the target in these previews. That would normally make me think there's no way he's getting booted. But then we had the preview about War Dog and he was voted out. So who knows? Even so, I don't know, maybe I just have a... a, instinctive reaction that you know whoever is featured in the in the preview is not going to be the one booted and they did it once already so they're not going to do it again so i'm going to say rick manages to save himself somehow whether by an immunity challenge or another idol find and so you know i think he's going to be safe for the others i think aurora is completely safe 
And we talked about this already because she was an immunity threat, but people don't care as much about that anymore since they probably all believe she's not a threat to win at the end and they'll want to sit next to her. You know, uh, Victoria, Lauren, and Gavin seem to be in a decent alliance right now, so I don't think any of them are in danger. And that leaves Julie, who... Damn you! you. Well, yeah, I mean, that would... She would seem to be in the most dangerous position, other than Rick, given that her tight ally, Ron, was just voted out. And I, I think she's viewed as likable by the others, perhaps too likable to allow her to get to the end. So... I'm going with Julie, and it sounds like you probably are, too. I'm getting there differently, though. Oh, okay. And can I be a huge spoiler? Um, No, no spoilers allowed. No spoilers. What counts as a spoiler? Like, a spoiler that's, like, posted online that other people can read and find out information? Is that a spoiler? Well, there's lots of things posted online, including actual spoilers. So if you could not get to it by logic, deduction, and publicly available information from CBS, then I'd say it's a spoiler. Publicly? Im- okay. Public information from CBS is not, mm. is not considered a spoiler, correct? Not to me. Some people think it is, but okay. not to me. So anyone who thinks public information from CBS is a spoiler, mute your buttons right now. Okay, or mute your whatever. I don't know. You're, <laughs> you yeah. Hit the mute button. Mute, How about mute, that? Your whatever. Listen, this is my spoiler. You ready? And it's from CBS.com. Okay. All right. Okay. It explains what happens in the next episode, which is called what? Idol or Bust. Yes. Mm-hmm. Spirits are lifted when castaways living on the edge read letters that they wrote to themselves before starting this adventure. Also, the final seven castaways battle for immunity during a tough puzzle challenge on Survivor. Mm-hmm. Mm. Seven. Mm. Mm. Says seven. Doesn't say six. Is that like the summary on the, the DVR or something? No, this Summary is of what the episode is going to be. Uh, no, this is CBS Entertainment. It is like bios, releases, photos like it's on CBS.com. OK, yeah. No, that's not a spoiler. I would not. God, you you really had me worked up there. A lot of people are probably like, oh, my God. And then they get to that. and They're like, oh, OK. But I'm just I saying. Mean, but here's it why. Is, it it says, does knock out. It does knock out what I thought, uh, you know, what I predicted for, uh, um, you know, in, in terms of what they were getting on Extinction Island. But the one thing I'll tell you is CBS interns. I know. Spell I know. They sometimes up. can't count. And maybe it was supposed to be six and it's a seven. Yeah. I'm just saying it says seven. But here's my reason for getting to Julie. But I just noticed that and I was like, hmm. So I do think I don't think this was a typo. I think someone's coming in because here's the thing. You can't reintroduce someone back into the game during the final episode there's only two episodes left i feel like it's just get it over with already do it be done Mm -hmm. because i think the jury is going to need more time to kind of process that Mm -hmm. where someone is coming back into the game so i feel like it has to happen the next episode i also have a guess as to who i think is coming back in but i don't know if you want me to go that far i mean you can guess sure i mean you're predicting so i think it's going to be uh chris i think he's coming back right is that his name no, that's not his name. I mean, there is a Chris there, yes. Yes. He's been there for a long time. Chris has been there for a long time. I get him yes. and Eric confused all of the time. 
But no, it's going to be Chris. He also just got married. uh, So congratulations, Chris. Oh, congratulations, Chris. But here's here's how I think Julie's going to end up going home. I do think that Rick is going to be safe in some fashion. But this is what I want to have happen because I feel like this would be more fun. So this is where my brain is is has gone to, if you will. So what have we seen? We've seen this domino effect where the large targets, if you will, people who could potentially win the game end up getting voted out. Usually they're involved in that prior vote where they send that person home. Who was involved in the prior vote sending Ron home? Well, we've got Gavin and Victoria and Lauren. And I feel like out of those three, really, who's the biggest threat to win the game or the biggest threat overall? It's Lauren. And Aurora was in there, too. I can't forget her as well. Now, Aurora, I do think, is kind of at this point, someone who everyone's probably willing to sit next to because she has been targeted for so long. But I do think that Lauren is going to be high on that list of people that need to go home. So we're going to have Rick and Lauren is probably right underneath Rick. What I hope happens is that they basically say, "Okay, so we're going to focus all of our attention and energies on Rick, but we need a backup plan. And who's the backup plan going to be? Lauren. And I think that Gavin and Victoria would be able to work this out and include Julie in on that plan that some of us are going to throw votes on Rick. Some of us are going to throw votes on Lauren because we want to make sure that one of them goes home. And if somebody plays an idol, Rick is hopefully going to play an idol if he doesn't already have immunity. But I don't think he's going to win immunity. I think he's going to find that idol. Lauren, I think, might catch wind. It would be really awesome if she did catch wind that I need to play my idol because I feel like I'm being targeted. I don't know how she's going to find out, but it would be really awesome if he played an idol, Lauren played an idol. And who is Rick really mad at right now? Julie. So wouldn't it be great Mm. if like he got the final say as to who gets to go home because he writes down the name Julie and he's probably the only person that's voting for Julie, but she ends up going home because he is safe and Lauren is safe. That's my prediction. Mm. Okay. All right. Um, So how does someone coming back play into all of that or doesn't it? Well, see, here's the thing. Chris clearly is not going to like Rick. So I think Chris would be more than willing to target Rick because Rick is part of the reason why Chris got voted out because yeah, there was, they did have time to talk that out when Rick was on extinction. And that's, you know what? That's true. So maybe that could oh, see this damn extinction Island. So maybe they mm-hmm. did talk it out. Maybe they made nice. I don't know, but I still feel like ah, I don't think that. Well, and here's the thing. And this is why I feel like Chris is going to be there. And maybe I'm reading too much into Survivor editing and how they... Chris has gotten a lot of very weird, the minimal confessionals that we've seen, but very long and weird confessionals from Extinction Island and how he wanted to play this perfect game and all of this stuff. But then also, there was a specific reference by David. I'd like to throw away comment during one of the episodes where he commented on Chris being better at making fire than even he is. And David is incredible at making fire so the fact that david would recognize how great chris is at making fire i think that's really suspicious and then i don't know what episode it was in but there was another random throwaway comment about how great lauren was at making fire Mm -hmm. so there was like these two random comments about two people about how great they are at making fire and we know that the final four comes down to people making fire so 
just reading into those things, I feel like it's going to be Chris and Lauren making fire against each other. Okay. You know what I read into those things? I think the producers are uh, messing with us. And they very, they very well could be. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? But <laughs> I do remember, I think it was, oh, was it last? I can't remember what season it was, but there was like an opening scene of somebody making fire. And that mm-hmm. was the person that ended up being in the fire making challenge. And it would like, so I don't know if they're, they maybe they're just messing with us, but I just feel like it could be a thing. It could be. It could be. You might be right. So, all right. So we it both. It pains picked, you to say that. I can tell. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping you're right. Well, I'm not hoping you're right about Julie, but, um, you know, that's, we both picked her. Uh, it's funny because my, so what, one of my sisters-in-law went to the same, was a graduate of the same uh, high school as Julie a few years uh, behind her. And it, my uh, niece and nephew currently go to that same school it's ah. a, it's it's not just a high school it's you know it's uh, all through the grades and uh, my sister-in-law's on the board there and everything so she feels this one connection even though she doesn't watch survivor and so she asked me when i uh, saw her this weekend uh, you know is is julie still on and i said yes but now but. i'm going to sit down and write my prediction when which i think that julie's gonna get the boot mm-hmm. so she's like what but yeah so so anyway, all right. So we both picked her and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Now um, it's just going to be what the avenue in which she gets that's voted right. out. That's right. Uh, all right. So as uh, as we wrap up here, I want to remind people to check out the RJP patron program by heading over to Rob has a website dot com slash patron to help support all of the RHAP podcasts and take a look at the various Patreon levels. Uh, to see what kind of perks you can get, uh, special podcasts, videos, you know, all, all sorts of things. Again, check it out at robhaswebsite.com slash patron. And of course, my favorite perk is the patron Facebook group. So once you get there, make sure to say hello to us. Or you could say hello to us on Twitter, or you could do both. You could be a I'd patron. I would say both as well. So on Twitter, you can follow David at David Bloomberg, and you can also follow me at Jessica Lewis 89. You should follow us both because clearly we communicate with each other throughout the week. And David, as I've said before, loves posting selfies of himself. So you should definitely check those out. You can see the whole conversation and also live tweeting during the episodes. And if you have any questions, we can certainly answer your questions at that time as well. Or if you have a question for this particular podcast, you can post it on Twitter. So that was at Jessica Lewis 89 or at David Bloomberg. Yes. And uh, uh, speaking of Twitter, now we have to come up with a hashtag. And I think you have uh, said it enough already. So I think the hashtag has to be peaks and valleys. I agree with that. (laughs) That's fantastic. Thank you. And uh, of course, the hashtag for this podcast overall is YXLost. Before we finish, I want to remind everyone about the uh, incredible poster that uh, we mentioned earlier, Eric Reichenbach designed this with Jessica and, and drew it, and uh, it covers all the rules we just discussed. So uh, as soon as this podcast is over, go to eBay via the link, tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster, and uh, you can go ahead and get one. And remember, if you want an autographed one, uh, be one of the first 10 to request that. That would be uh, fabulous. I have yep. those at the ready. All right. Um, Everyone should also make sure you're getting all the survivor commentary you can handle by subscribing to all of the RHAP survivor podcasts at Rob has a podcast dot com slash survivor or just 
find it on your favorite podcatcher. Uh, we're also on the Reality TV Rehap Ups feed, which you can find in a similar way. In both places, you can find all the great RHAP content like the Know-It-Alls, the Wiggle Room, This Week in Survivor, the B&B, you name it, it's out there. Uh, thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who does the editing on all the Why Blank Loss podcasts. Thanks, as always, to Will from America for the theme song. And thanks to you, Jessica, for a great episode and the anti-internet telling me wrong, I'm wrong advantage. <laughs> well, you know what? I do hope that that works for you. Wink. I'm sure it'll be fine. And everyone will absolutely follow that advantage that didn't expire like three weeks ago or anything like that. So, yeah. Good luck with that. And thank you, David, for a wonderful episode as well. And good luck with your advantage. Nobody should go on Twitter and say that David was wrong with any of his predictions. That's okay? right. Well, with yeah. anything I say. Right. Ever. Exactly. Exactly. David is right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, we will be back here in one week and we will talk to everyone again then. Bye. Jessica will turn it around They'll break down the rules And they'll show you how You played yourself and got voted out This is why Blank lost And this is why Blank lost Ooh, baby, this is why Blank lost